Luke chapter 17. Begin at verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this stranger? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. May God revive us according to his word. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word this morning, that it is uh, a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And I pray that uh, you might sanctify my sinful lips to proclaim your pure and holy word. I pray that you would give us faith as we hear your word, that you would revive our hearts according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the response? What would your response be if you were forgiven a great big debt? A debt that you could never have paid on your own. Wouldn't it be gratitude? Wouldn't it be thankfulness? Jesus has been talking to the disciples in this chapter about forgiveness. Forgiving those who have sinned against us. Seven times your brother sins against you in a day and seven times he returns saying, I repent. Then Jesus said, you must forgive him. And Peter asked in another a place in Matthew, well, how many times should I do it? You know, up to seven times? And, and Jesus, you remember Jesus' answer it was, no, 70 times seven. And, and not that the 491st time you don't. Jesus' point was, it is, it is our duty to forgive because, because we have been forgiven so much. Such a great debt. And so I think this, this um, um, 
In, in Matthew, Jesus went into the parable, a little parable about a man who had been forgiven ten thousand talents, which is a, which is an, which is a massive debt. Ten thousand talents of, of. Um, a debt of 10,000 talents, if that's gold, that would be a debt that m- most of the billionaires in the world could not even pay. It, it would be a debt that if you were, if you made $100 million a year, and there are very few people in the whole world that make $100 million a year, but if you made $100 million a year, it would take you two centuries, and, and you put every penny you made for two centuries, you still would barely pay off a debt of 10,000 talents of gold. In other words, it's, an, it's a debt nobody could ever repay. And, and Jesus tells that parable of this man that had this big debt that was forgiven. And then he can't forgive a little debt of a couple days wages to somebody that, that owed him. And and uh, and Jesus said, well, talked about the king when he found out about this man whom he'd forgiven this great debt, who didn't who couldn't forgive somebody else. He was put into prison where he until he paid every last penny. And Jesus drew the example from that parable of if if we don't forgive those who sin against us, we are in the same position as that man. But in this case, this was probably a different time. In this case, God used a divine, his divine providence to bring something to pass to illustrate the necessity of gratitude. And what he brought to pass was, is, was ten lepers coming to Jesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through the midst of Samaria and Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. And ten lepers <clears throat> approach him. Now lepers, uh, uh, and they, uh, they stand afar off. Because as you know, leprosy was a disease that was uh, contagious, or believed to be contagious. And it required, according to even the law of God, that those who had it, were were put out of the city. They were quarantined. And it, and if anybody came near they had to cry out unclean. And and they they because of the nature of the disease it destroyed the nerves in their body. And without nerves you, we we think of our nerves as how we feel pain, but without that ability to feel pain our lives are in danger. I mean, what's to stop you from putting your hand on a hot stove? putting your hand in a fire. If you didn't have pain to draw back, you would just not know, you might not know it was there. Uh, in fact, the, that's how the tallest man in, that ever lived in the world apparently died. He, he had neuropathy in his feet and he couldn't feel uh, the, the, he couldn't feel the uh, brace that he had to wear. He couldn't feel it digging into his leg until it was too late and the wound had got gangrene in it because he couldn't feel it. So a leper was somebody who couldn't, who lost the feeling. And so their uh, body would get injured, burned, hurt, pinched. 
and they couldn't feel it. And so the, the, you would just have um, decay of the body, rot, you know, flesh that's falling off. And, and, it, and it stank. It was a mess. It was disgusting and not pleasant to be around. So they were, they were outcasts, societal outcasts. And so they came up, these ten lepers come up who they can't, they can't have normal lives. They can't have families and homes and jobs and live in society. They had to live away by themselves, dependent on whatever food they could get. These ten lepers come to Jesus and they stand afar off and they lift up their voices and cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus did. He told them, go, show yourselves to the priest. And why do you say that? Because the priest under the Old Testament dispensation was the one who was responsible for deciding whether they had leprosy or not and whether they needed to be uh, uh, quarantined or not and whether they could come into and live in the city or not that he was the one that made that determination. And there were, um, there were rules about that. You can read about them in Leviticus and in the Pentateuch about how he was to decide whether something required a quarantine or whether it was not a problem. And so they, being, uh, they were to go show themselves to the priest because he was the one that could make the determination as to whether they were healed or not. You notice Jesus didn't heal them at that moment. He just said, go to the priest. In other words, you in your messy, rotten, stinking condition, go to the priest. And, and they did. And it was only after they were going, on the way, as they went, that they were cleansed. They were healed. And it was then that one of them who saw what had happened in his own body stopped what he was doing, turned around and went back. He went back to give thanks. And, and we can see in what he did, in this passage that Jesus recounted here, in this event that actually happened, that God in his providence brought to happen right at this point, we see the character of sincere gratitude. The character of sincere gratitude. The first thing we see is that sincere gratitude arises from a recognition of God's work. Sincere gratitude arises from a recognition of God's work. This leper saw what happened to him and he recognized it as a work of Almighty God. He didn't say, oh, this is due to the wonders of the human body. Oh, how what an amazing body we have, I have. He didn't attribute it to the miraculous power of a new drug. He didn't attribute it to just a lucky break. Look at me, I got better. He attributed it to the work 
of Almighty God. And he came back to Jesus. And he glorified God. You notice that it says he glorified God. He recognized that what had happened to him was what God had done for him. You see, when we recover from a sickness, an illness, what is our, what's our first thought of how we got better? Is it this or that remedy or potion? Is it this or that doctor? Is it what we did first and foremost? Or do we recognize it primarily first and foremost as what the Lord has done? The work of the Lord. Now secondly, sincere gratitude shapes our life. It shapes our life. The Samaritan arrests his trip to the high priest. He stopped and he turned around to return to Jesus to offer thanks. He didn't think, well, let me finish you know, what I'm doing here. Let, let me even finish what Jesus told me to do. He told them to go show yourself to the high priest. He didn't finish. He didn't. He didn't do that. He turned around immediately. He didn't think, well, I'll thank him the next time I see him or I'll thank him, I'll catch him the next time he comes by, comes this way. See, a grateful heart can't wait to express the gratitude that is in it. Gratitude shapes our life. This was the pattern that we see in Daniel's life. Giving thanks shaped the pattern and the outline and the plan of his day. In Daniel 6, we read that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this was that law that they passed to catch Daniel. This was the Daniel law. That for 30 days they were supposed to only give thanks and praise to to the king, Darius. And they thought they were going to get Daniel because Daniel had made it a pattern, morning, noon, and night, to pray to the Lord. And so... When this law was signed and when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and he went into his upper room with his and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom as was his custom since early days. Daniel let gratitude and the giving of thanks shape his very life. And it didn't matter what happened. Gratitude shaped his life. It directed what he did three times a day. He prayed. And it says he did that since his early days. And when this law came, it didn't change what he did. Because he was grateful to God for, what, for who God was and for what God had done for him and was doing for him. Even, even in the face of this 
law, this Daniel law that was designed to get him killed, got him thrown in the lion's den. You, remember, you all know that story, right? That's how it happened. Because Daniel made it a habit to give thanks three times a day. Now, sincere gratitude leads to praise. Sincere gratitude leads to praise. On reaching Jesus, the Samaritan glorified God. He recognized the tremendous worth of God's healing work. And he praised the God from whom all blessings flow. He glorified God. Sincere gratitude recognizes the worth. It recognizes the value. It recognizes what is behind the work for which it is thankful. And that leads directly to praise. These two things really go together. Thanksgiving and praise really go together. They always go together. You can't really have one without the other because sincere gratitude leads to praise. The praise and worship of God has to flow from a grateful heart. We can't worship God. We can't praise God if we don't have a deep gratitude for what he's done for us. You know, when Jesus asked, weren't there any found who returned to give glory to God? To give glory to God. He didn't say give thanks. He said give glory to God. Because these two things go together. Sincere gratitude leads to praise and to to glorifying God. Sincere gratitude recognizes the merit in someone else besides ourselves. Someone other than ourselves. The Pharisee who prayed, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other people wasn't really offering thanks even though He used those words. He said he was, but he wasn't giving thanks. He wasn't recognizing any merit in somebody else other than himself. He was only recognizing what was in him. That's not thanks. Gratitude recognizes the worth of what someone else has done, the merit of what someone else has done on our behalf. The Samaritan came back to glorify God. He didn't ascribe merit to himself. He didn't say, wow, I was really smart for knowing that this guy could heal me. I made a really brilliant decision, didn't I? For asking him to heal me. That's not what he comes back to do. That's not what was in his heart. In his mind, in his heart, he recognized the worth of what Christ had done for him. Thanksgiving flows when we recognize who God is. Who God is in his person, in his being, as well as what he has done. It flows when we recognize that he is worthy to receive our praise and our thanks because of who he is. The sovereign creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who holds um, 
the heart of the king in his hand, but also the one who is holy, totally separate, transcendent from the creation that he has made, who is good in all his, he does, even in his judgments, even in his, in his justice, God is good. God is Faithful, he's holy, he's love. He abounds in loving kindness and tender mercy. It's one of the most frequent descriptions of who God is. Someone who abounds in loving kindness and tender mercy. Thanksgiving or gratitude flows when we recognize the merit in others, and especially in God. Oh, give thanks, Psalm 118 says, David says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. It's who he is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. Remember Psalm 136 gives that refrain over and over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord. Okay, sincere Gratitude is also vocal. The Samaritan came back and he glorified God in a loud voice, it says. A loud sound. See that? It wasn't a whisper, a timid whisper. It wasn't an unvocalized thought. But he, it's a vocal when our heart is overflowing with gratitude, we want to express it. it ca- we can't contain it. It bursts out of us. We want to shout it out. The psalmist expresses this, ad- this aspect of gratitude when he opens Psalm 45 saying, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. A ready writer is somebody who's ready to write. And he's saying his tongue was ready to, to express his gratitude. This, this, this is what his heart was overflowing with. So when we are filled with gratitude for the great salvation that God has wrought in us, our tongue, our tongue becomes the pen of a ready writer. And like the Samaritan who, with a loud voice, glorified God, we want to shout out the praise of God as well with a loud voice to anyone, to anyone who will hear. If we can't speak with a loud voice about God's great salvation, about his wonderful work to heal us, because, you know, we are like this leper. That is a very accurate description of our spiritual condition. We stink. We're rotting. We're dying. Our body is decaying away spiritually and God heals us. And if we can't speak with a loud voice about God's great salvation, about His wonderful work to heal us, to subdue our rebel hearts, to cleanse our stinking hearts and bodies, we have to ask. We have to ask, have we really been cleansed? Have we really been healed? Now, sincere gratitude also proceeds from a humble heart. The Samaritan prostrated himself 
at Jesus' feet. He didn't walk up to him and look at him eye to eye and say and praise him and thank him. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Gratitude flows from a heart that recognizes it has received something that it wasn't owed and has done nothing to deserve. Gratitude flows from a heart that recognizes it that it has received something it wasn't owed and something it did not deserve. See, a proud heart is a self-sufficient heart, right? It, a proud heart doesn't have needs. It only gets what it deserves or thinks it deserves. It doesn't praise the work of another. It isn't grateful for what has been received because it believes it earned what it received. It's a humble heart. It's a humble heart that sincere gratitude flows from. But sincere gratitude is also a duty. It's also a duty. Yes, it is spontaneous in those who have been forgiven and healed and cleansed, but it's also our duty. Jesus asks, where are the others who were healed? Where are the others? He says, where? Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? You see, if it wasn't a duty, they, Jesus wouldn't have asked where they were. He asked where they were because it was, it's a duty for them to come back and give thanks. Gratitude um, the, the, is not optional. Those other nine should have come back. Gratitude is owed to the one who has given us what we could never earn and paid for us the debt that we could never pay. Gratitude is owed. Paul instructed the Thessalonian church and, and us as well when he said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God for us, that we be people who give thanks, that we be a, a grateful people. It's God's will. And so ingratitude then is a sin. Psalm 147 says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. That's a command. And so not to do that is, is a sin. And, and this is what Paul brings out in Romans 1 as he's describing this man that is it, this, this, these people that are in rebellion against God. He describes them as ungrateful people. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So all the so creation proclaims the glory of God and his power. Because these people Paul's talking about, they knew God, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. What is their sin? What, what, is, what is the sin that Paul is describing here? 
to these people who are under God's condemnation. They had creation around them and they weren't grateful. They didn't glorify him, nor were they thankful. And, and that's just for God's physical creation. They weren't thankful and they didn't glorify him. But became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then you know that progression. It goes from there. God gives them over to even greater wickedness. Colossians 3, Paul says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. So that's the character of sincere gratitude. The character of sincere gratitude. It, it um, arises from a recognition of God's work. It shapes our life. It leads to praise. It recognizes merit in someone else. It is vocal. Proceeds from a humble heart. And it is what we owe. It's our duty. Now what are the blessings then of gratitude? God blesses those who, who walk in his ways and obey him. And in the expression of gratitude, God also brings great blessing. First of all, gratitude changes our focus, our perspective. It changes our perspective. It takes the focus off of our problems, our situation, and it leads us to see the blessings that we have in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. That's what gratitude does. So if you're having a bad day, give thanks. If things aren't going right, give thanks. Give thanks. Gratitude will change your perspective. Gratitude, secondly, will enable you to see what you've been given. Gratitude enables us to see what we have been given. Now, you might think that it's the other way around, right? That gratitude flows from receiving a blessing, but it doesn't work that way. It's actually the opposite. Gratitude enables us to see what we have been given. It enables us to see the blessings that we have. People can be given immense blessings and because they have an ungrateful heart, never realize what they've been given. Consider the children of Israel after they were delivered from Egypt. right after they were delivered from Egypt. Moses says in Exodus 16, And they journeyed from Elam, and the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. The 15th day of the second month. So it's been, what, six weeks Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now just think about this for a minute. They're complaining. They're discontent. They're very unhappy. When they had just witnessed one of the greatest miracles and received the greatest deliverance in the history of mankind. The greatest deliverance in the history of mankind. Right? We still talk about this deliverance today. That's how amazing it was. God had poured out these incredible plagues on the Egyptians. He killed all their livestock. He didn't kill the Israelites' livestock. He sent painful boils on the Egyptians, but not on the Israelites. I mean, it'd be like having this pandemic. Now, this isn't really a pandemic. We don't have any more people dying than normally do. That's a pandemic is when you have millions of extra people dying. But just pretend in this pretend pandemic, you know, that we were never, none of us ever got, ever got sick or none of us ever died. And, but there's millions of people dying all around us. All the Egyptians got sick. The Israelites didn't get any boils. There was hail that destroyed all the Egyptian crops. But in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were, hail didn't destroy any of their crops. The, there was darkness so deep that they couldn't get up out of their beds. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face. There was no light. Not low light, no light. Absolutely no light. No moon light, no starlight, no nothing. And yet in the land of Israel, they had light in their homes. They could see. How's that work? Finally, God killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, both man and beast. But he passed over all the Israelite homes that had the blood of the Passover lamb on their door. Their firstborn sons and daughters didn't die. The firstborn of their animals didn't die. God passed over their homes. God delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians. Remember, they were working. They were groaning. They were getting beaten for not making enough bricks without any straw. God delivered them from slavery. They marched right out in broad daylight and they plundered the wealth of the Egypt as they went. The Egyptians were paying them to go. They couldn't give them enough silver and gold and clothes to get out. When just remember a few days before, they're beating them into slavery and uh, uh, to work. And then after they leave, they are... They go into a a, a, a channel, a uh, what do you call a pass, a mountain pass. So there's mountains on either side of them, and I just recently saw a, a video footage of this path, and it's um, it, you begin to see what was going on in a way I never really understood. But they're going through a mountain pass. There's mountains on all the side of them, and this mountain pass goes right down to the Red Sea, and there's a big plain there, but it, they're surrounded by mountains all around them. They can't go. You can't go along the water because there's mountains. And, and the Egyptian army, remember, they had a change of heart and they came after them. And so now they're trapped between the mountains on one side, 
the sea in front of them, which was deep, it was thousands of feet deep, and the Egyptian army behind them. They're trapped. They're sitting ducks. And God parts the Red Sea. And they walk across on dry ground. And then God drowns the entire Egyptian army in front of them so they see the dead bodies washing up on the shore. And they're free. And they complain. If gratitude flowed because we received blessings, they would be the most grateful people on the whole earth. But see, gratitude, a heart of gratitude enables us to see the blessings that God has given us. You see, sincere gratitude turns discontentment into contentment. Sincere gratitude keeps us from bitterness and discontentment. You can't be bitter and discontent and be thankful at the same time. It just doesn't work. It's one or the other. They don't mix. You see, this leper, this Samaritan leper, he could have focused on what he didn't have. Right? He'd, he'd, been living in isol- he'd been living in quarantine. He'd been living as an outcast. He, he probably had no money, no home. Even healed, he, he would have been in a des- des- destitute situation because he he'd, he'd been living away from society. But see, he wasn't focused on those things. Not at all. Elizabeth Elliot, I believe, said it was her that said it's always possible to be thankful for what is given rather than to complain about what has not been given. One or the other becomes the habit of life. One or the other becomes the habit of life. Gratitude keeps us from a life of discontentment. Giving thanks to God reminds us of who God is as well as what he's done for us. It, and it saves us from not only discontentment, but a host of bad emo- and harmful emotions and attitudes that rob us of God's peace. See, thanksgiving is the antidote to worry and fear. And that's why when Paul instructs the Philippians about how not to be anxious. He says this, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's the key. It's not just praying to God, but it's praying with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's that heart of gratitude that comes to God when we're in a moment of fear and anxiety that confesses that and with gratitude asks, with gratitude, with thanksgiving asks the Lord that God sends peace. Gratitude also, uh, another benefit is that promotes humility. All the characteristics that we looked at of gratitude point to humility. 
See, to give thanks with a grateful heart is to be clothed with humility, as Peter tells us, to be clothed with humility. You know, humility is really not something you do. It's something you are clothed with. And gratitude promotes humility. Gratitude also prepares us for heaven. Right? Giving thanks is what we find happening in heaven. Revelation 4 and 7 and 11 are all depictions of heavenly throne room. And in these, they all are speaking of thanksgiving being given to God. The living creatures that are spoken of glory give glory, honor, and thanks to God. The angels and the 24 elders, they worship God saying, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, and so on. Gratitude, brothers and sisters, springs from a redeemed heart. Gratitude springs from a redeemed heart. Jesus told this Samaritan, Arise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But that word made well is the usual word for saved. It's the usual word for saved, sozo. There are, there are other words for heal. This is the word for saved. Go your way. Your faith has saved you. See, all ten lepers were healed. But only the Samaritan was told, your faith has saved you. Sincere gratitude springs from a redeemed heart. And those who have never received this gift really can't give thanks for it. It's only the redeemed heart that can say, as God told, the, as Paul told the Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His indescribable gift. Only a redeemed heart has received this indescribable gift. It's a redeemed heart that gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. It's the redeemed heart that proclaims, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And just a other, couple other passages. Therefore, by Him, Hebrews 13, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Notice praise and thanks. They go together. Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In Ephesians 5, to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks, giving thanks, always, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things. That's the work of a redeemed heart. Giving th thanksgiving is the foundation of our worship. It's the foundation of our worship. Psalm 100 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with joy. Praise be thankful unto him and bless his name. Enter with thanksgiving. Be thankful. It's the foundation of worship. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. So 
What are a couple of, what are, in closing, what are, the few thing, what are a few things that we can give thanks for? Well, we can give thanks to God for his love. God is love. We can give thanks to him that he loves us. We can give thanks to him for his provision for us. Every day, right? He has provided for you every day of your life, every day of my life. God has provided for us. We can give thanks. We can give thanks to God for his forgiveness. That was the context in which this event happened. Forgiveness. We should give thanks to God that he forgives us. We can give thanks to God for his word. David said in Psalm 119, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. We can give thanks to him for his creation. Like Psalm 136 does. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights for his mercy endures forever. He's talking about the sun and the moon. He's talking about making the earth and the dry land. Saying we can give thanks to God for that. The sun to rule the day for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule the night for his mercy endures forever. We can give thanks to God for, for these things. They're, they're his work. It's good to thank him for that. We can thank God for his people. Paul said to the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for you. For the Thessalonians. Paul saying, we, those who are with us, me, Give thanks to God for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Give thanks to God for his people, for one another. And we can thank God for his sovereign plan that he is accomplishing in history. Thank God for his sovereign plan that he is accomplishing. Even all the things that are happening, they're part of God's plan for his purpose that he's accomplishing in history. We can give thanks for that. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Thanks to God for that, Paul said. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's victory. He gives it to us. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And in Revelation 11, it says, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. We give thanks for that. Lots of things to give thanks for, brothers and sisters. Amen. Heavenly Father, our hearts are indeed overflowing with gratitude this morning for your work in us. Lord, we recognize this is your work in us, for we were once in discontent and envious and, and uh, rebellious, but you have changed us, and we, we say praise and thank you for your great salvation, for an indescribable gift. 
We thank you that you have allowed us to know your love. You've allowed us to see your creation and to enjoy its beauty and marvel at its wisdom and wonder at your your power in making it. And we we give you thanks, Lord, for for your people and for this congregation and of brothers and sisters who do minister to one another. We thank you, Lord, for each labor of love uh, that we have received and enjoyed through the hand of your people. We, We thank you that you are the sovereign king and that even now you are reigning and that you will Put all enemies under, you will reign until you have put all enemies under your feet. Lord, we praise you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Through Jesus Christ, amen.